Welcome to uh, Grace Spring. My name is Kenneth Price. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'm excited for this morning. Uh, we've been on a journey through emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, the book is by Pete Scazzaro. Uh, we've kind of taken some of the, the topics from there and just kind of uh, created our own little sermon series through, uh, through the book. And uh, this morning, um, very fitting for Mother's Day, we're going to be talking about um, the journey through the wall. So I don't know if you've read the book at all, but we're going to define what a wall is. We're going to talk about it. I want to acknowledge before we even get started that um, today is a beautiful day and today is a hard day. Um, there's so much beauty in, in motherhood and there's, there's so much pain also. And I want to acknowledge wherever you're at in this space, you are welcome here. Um, whether you're dealing with emotions of desiring children and not having them um, having a strained relationship with the mother, having uh, miscarriages or, or any of those hard things, or if, if you're in a place where, you know, your children are the light of your life, I, we're, we're all across the spectrum here, and um, this is a place for you. And, and I think the beauty of a, of a um, series like Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is, is that we can say that we're all on a journey together, um, and all of your emotions are welcome. Um, and I don't know, like I, I, I just feel like maybe somebody needs to know that you're not a burden and that, that you're seen and you're known and you're loved and you're cared for. And if you're not feeling that way, this is a lesson that I've had to learn the hard way is that, that sometimes it doesn't hurt to ask. Uh, I'm a person that uh, if I have to ask for something, I probably don't want it anymore, right? I want somebody to notice what I need and just give it to me. Um, and, and literally there have been times in, in, in different circles of my life where I've just had to say, you know what, like, if, if I'm doing a good job at something, could you just say it, please? Like, if, if you see something cool, could you just say it, you know? That's really hard for me because then it's like I want to tune it out, you know? But I will tell you, like, people can't read your minds. And, and people might see it in your faces and see the struggle that you're going through, but, but it never hurts just say, hey, could you help me? Could, could you help me? There, there's something beautiful that unlocks whenever, whenever you put your hand out. And so as we walk through this journey um, of the wall, this, this is a, it's a heavy subject matter. It's, it's a hard subject matter, but it's, it is, I think it's the most beautiful place in all of our walk with Jesus ever. And so like, I'm really excited to unpack this uh, today with us because the most fruit probably ever comes through the wall experiences. And, and there's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of scripture passages that we could be looking at to look at what this looks like in, in the life of the body. But the one we're going to talk about this morning, uh, it, it's a beautiful passage out of Genesis. And I just want to share um, just a little bit, like as we kind of get into this, <clears throat> um, the wall, you, it's basically just a season in your faith where you feel stuck. The season in your faith where you hit a crisis point. It's a, a season in your faith where, and let me just maybe list some of the, the different things that this could look like. Um, maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a death in the family. Maybe it's an unexpected diagnosis. Maybe it's life-shattering news of some sort. And quite literally, it, it, it can be 
just not hearing God's voice anymore the way that you used to. What the wall is not is getting mad in traffic or <laughs> these trials that you put on me, Lord. Right? What the wall is is a place that sends you reeling. There, there's a, um, a, a father of the faith back in the day named St. John of the Cross, and he called the wall the dark night of the soul. And, and what's remarkable about John of the Cross is like, when he talks about the dark night of the soul, he, he was a beautiful poet. You should check out the, his poetry. But he was literally held captive in a room the size of a closet. If you've ever seen like Harry Potter before, like think of Harry Potter's little closet under the stairs, right? And he was held captive, uh, had no light, was given food like once a week. Um, and I don't want to get gross here, but was forced to use the bathroom in his own cell without proper like sanitation and, and was held there and held there and held there and held there. And in the middle of this place, he talked about worshiping God in the, in the depths, in the, the darkest of places, in the dark night of the soul. And like some of you, like if, if you, you hear those things and you're like, that's kind of how my soul feels right now. Like I'm being locked in a closet and, and, I'm, and I'm, everything's dark and everything's hard and, and I, I can't imagine like my way out of this. Welcome. <laughs> you're in a safe place. And if you're in a place like, like literally where it's like, man, life is pretty good right now, then my hope through all of this is, is, is that this is a spurring for us to look at those around us with more care and more compassion and to be available and to, to help walk people through what they're going through. And I want to make a disclaimer ahead of time that, and, and I've said this before from, from the stage, but if you're in a place of severe clinical anxiety, depression, any of these deeper, darker things. This is never a thing that I really believe that you can't just Jesus your way out of some of those things. He, he's there and he cares for you, but if you need help, get help, okay? But if you're in a place where it's not clinical and you feel like Jesus is the answer in the midst of those things, then, then this message is for you, okay? So all the disclaimers, everything's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from this passage, and we're going to just take some time to walk through it. Um, I'm not going to have you stand up, uh, but if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Genesis 22. And we'll go back here in a little bit and give you some, some background as well. Um, and we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time here in Genesis 22. We're going to start in verse 1. I didn't look up the page number. I'm a slacker. But it's the first book of the Bible, 22 chapters in, first verse of that one. You just open it in the front, you'll get there, right? They have a little thing in the front, too, that lists all the books and where to find them. All right, so I'm going to start reading. So after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. <laughs> I know. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. <laughs> what? You guys heard this story before? Anybody not heard this story before? No? Go and burn your son. Okay. And so this is not the, the sentence that you would expect to hear next. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Is that the sentence you expected to hear next? 
I mean, if you've read the story, it's like, yeah, okay, I know. We know what's going to happen, right? Spoiler alert. But like, like the first time you're ever reading this, like, there's not even like, are, are you kidding me, God? Like, you want me to burn my son? You want me to murder my kid? You, do you understand like a burnt offering? It, it's gruesome. It wasn't like literally just like tying this kid to the wood and setting him on fire. Like he would slaughter him gruesomely before he burn him. And I know like we, we're like, we're suspended out here, right? And, and, and we, we can see the story here as it's written. Can you imagine if you're Abraham? Imagine thinking in that moment, you want me to do what, God? And I know like we look back and, and see God's provision and God's timing and all of these things. But, but man, maybe Abraham just had like way more faith than me, right? I'm thinking like, What? Are you serious, God? And we're going to get into some of the, the reason why these thoughts would be important, but like it doesn't skip a beat here. So Abraham went and saddled up. He said, let's go, boy. Right? On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Look at how he even phrases what he's about to do. Go and offer your son as a burnt offering to me. And he looks at the men that were with him and he said, we're going to go worship. Like, man, what? What's going on in Abraham's brain? You know, if we, if we could do just a, a character study, just like, What? What made him speak that way? What made him answer that way? We're going to answer some of these questions in a minute. But I just, I want us to journey through like some of these feelings and, and let's journey through the story and really understand what's happening here. Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Does it sound familiar? Jesus carrying a cross. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father? And he said, here am I, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. This is his favorite answer. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, uh, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. We're going to pause here for just a second. That's hard. Sorry, like I'm... It's not Father's Day. I'm like crying. This, this, 
looks like a wall. <laughs> you see how like in this moment, everything just flips on its head. So as we start to unpack the journey, um, Pete Scazzaro in the book gives us a little bit of an understanding of what a, what a typical journey of faith might look like. And I want to walk through that, but then we're going we're gonna to hone in on different parts of Abraham's life that set him up for this moment. And, and I know, like, I, I'm standing here talking and thinking, like, <laughs> you know, like, it, I know it's a comparison game, that kind of thing. I'm thinking, like, God, God tells me that. I probably didn't hear him right, you know. <laughs> like, that, that wasn't God. Like, I, when, when God tells me to go pray for somebody, sometimes I don't do it, right? <laughs> you need to pray for that person. I'll pray for him right here. I'm not about to make things awkward, God, you know. Oh, you didn't say kill my son. You said go sit in the sun. Okay. <laughs> we could do that. So here's what, here's what the journey looks like, okay? And this, you'll find yourself somewhere in one of these six steps. So very first and foremost, um, there's, there's life away from God. So I should have had zero there. Li there's life away from God. And then all of a sudden, uh, there, there's this thing that happens where, where we have a life changing awareness of who God is. And so uh, in, in the Greek, there are two words for time, which I think is really neat. There's, there's chronos time, which means just time is marching on. It's continual. It, it's moving on. There's nothing we could do about it. The seasons are coming. The seasons are going. Uh, it's, it's just marching right on. There's the second word here is kairos time. And, and what kairos time means is a moment in time where everything seems to stop and pause for just a moment and a decision has to be made for how to move forward. So in this Kairos time, it's a time of reckoning. It's a, it's a landmark moment. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Inside Out before, but it's like, you know, when, when she gets those like core memories, like those are Kairos moments, something that sets time apart. And that will, it's like a bookmark for your soul. And this bookmark for the soul is this, it's the first time you have this life changing awareness of God. I don't know if you remember that moment in your life if, if you're a believer, but it's like, man, the food tasted better. I slept harder. Like, I wanted to tell every single friend that I ever knew about Jesus. I was inviting everybody to church. Like, I, I, I was telling them stuff that I didn't even know about yet. Right? Well, what does the Bible say about this? It probably says that. I don't know. And I have to, like, go look at my Bible. It's like, oh, gosh, hmm, I let Johnny astray. this life-changing awareness of God. I, I love, and you've probably heard me say this before, David called it, uh, he, he was asking God at one point to return to him the joy of his salvation. You remember that moment that he was just locked in, it was you and Jesus against the world. It's this life-changing awareness, and, and we are full speed, ready to go. And then we move into this process called discipleship. And what does discipleship look like? I believe, and this is what I typically say when, when we talk about discipleship, is the disciple is a learner. And so a discipler is a teacher. Uh, the, the language that they would often use in, in, the, in the Greek New Testament is an apprentice, somebody who follows closely after a master. And so this discipleship process, we're being discipled by Jesus, but, but ideally, in an ideal world, we're being discipled by others. We, we find somebody to pour into us and help us not to lie to Johnny anymore, right? 
So instead of lying to Johnny, I could go back to them and be like, hey, Johnny asked me this question. Can we talk about this for a while? Let's sit down. I need to understand this concept about Jesus. I need to understand how it plays out in my life. And, and in this discipleship process, what we learn how to do is how to observe and interpret and apply God's word to our lives. And so in this discipleship journey, which never ends, by the way, it's just number two because that's about where we start, right? This discipleship journey, it's lifelong. It continues on. And what we become as a disciple, we become servants and we become witnesses and we become worshipers. We become people who tell others what God has done in our lives. We worship God with our whole heart and we serve him and others. And then we move on to the active life. This is where it's like, man, I finally kind of got my wings, right? And so I moved from like, no, like being excited and knowing nothing to being excited and knowing something. And now I can actually kind of move forward. And some people just stay in this phase for a long time. Stay here for a long, long time. And that's cool. Like the active life, it's a great place to be because you're using your gifts, you're serving, you're walking around proclaiming Jesus. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Out of the blue, we hit the wall. And I can't predict where the wall is in your life. Some of you have hit a wall. Some of you have hit seven walls in your life. Some of you maybe have been like, My, I haven't hit any walls. I'm, I don't know what this is about. And, and I'm going to give you some signs to, to look for. And maybe you've hit a wall and didn't even realize it yet. But what happens is when we hit the wall, we realize all of the active things we've been doing, all of the, the scripture intake and all of the prayer and all these other things that as we've been living our lives, that, that it's transformed a lot on the outside, but we're like onions, right? We got layers. Ogres are like onions. We got these layers on the inside and what starts to happen through the wall is this journey that goes inside. And, it, it's, and, and our heart is changed in Jesus when we, when we meet him, but, but our heart is further transformed when we look at this wall and realize that there is nothing that we can do to, to get through it. And I like to, I like to say it's like, um, do you guys know the song? Like it's, it's different in different places, but my, my kids love this video, but it's going on a bear hunt. You know that, or going on a lion hunt, whichever one you want. I prefer bear. If you're a lion person, cool, we can still be friends. Um, but but I, I love, like, I think of the wall this way, right? Because we're going, going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. I'm not scared. And then it's like, oh, goodness, here's the tall grass. Well, we can't go under it. We can't go over it. We can't go around it. I guess we're going to have to go through it. And every obstacle that we hit on this wall, like we can't build a ladder tall enough to get over this thing on our own. Realize there's not a shovel that can dig hard enough to get under this thing. If we walked and walked and walked around the side of this wall, we would never get to the end of it. What God is asking us to do is to look at the wall and walk through it. And it, like, I don't know about you, but I can't walk through walls. I have not been gifted with that superpower. It might be fun. So the, the way that my mind imagined it, 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 like I'm looking around, I'm like, is there a ladder here? Is there a shovel here? It, do I have my running shoes on? No, I don't. I never have my running shoes on. <laughs> so what, what I, how I visualize is I'm just looking around, all of a sudden I feel a tap on my shoulder, and I look behind me, and you know who it is? It's Jesus. And he's standing there and he's like, you're going to need this and hands me a pickaxe. And I'm like, oh my goodness. What am I going to do with this? It's time to start chiseling. 
don't worry, I've got one too. And side by side, me and Jesus, we walk through every single chisel at this wall. Because here's the thing, is I cannot do it on my own. And we're going to look at this in Abraham's story. We can't do it on our own. Every, every part of Abraham's story was, was gifted to him by God. It was, it was provided for him. It was put in front of him. And, and Abraham got to the point where he said, like, if God has provided all of these other things, why wouldn't he provide the answer for this also? And so as we're at the wall and we're digging through all of these things and we're journeying inside and, and we chisel away and sometimes it hits a nerve and it's like, oh gosh, I didn't realize how selfish I was. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that, that my past hurts and my traumas and the things that they said to me affected me so deeply. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize that, that when that core memory came in that that was not a good core memory and now I've got to process through these things. Every chisel, every, every stroke is Jesus standing right next to you and saying, we've got this. I am the answer. I am enough. I will provide. I will give you what you need. You just need to trust in me. So at the wall, we journey inward and we look at the nastiest things that are on the inside of us and we start to one by one take those things out of us and hand them to Jesus and just say, like, I can't deal with this anymore. I need you to take this. And it's probably not even all nasty stuff. It's stuff that's probably good in there that we are, are misplacing and putting in the seat of Jesus. Do you realize, like, through my wall that I went through, I realized, like, how idolatrous I was. How much I wanted attention. How much I wanted to do the right thing. My wall. Y'all want to hear about my wall? Okay. <laughs> we'll schedule a meeting, the two of you. <laughs> All right. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I don't know if second service will get this, but you got it. All right. Um, so... Years, I had so bad with years. Um, years ago, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there, met this girl and thought she was just awesome. And we started, like, dating. We started planning our life together, proposed to her in the most, like, cool way. And we were together for, like, years. And... Um, just really started like realizing along the journey that, you know, I'm, I'm the one driving things. I'm the one saying like, hey, you know, are we gonna plan stuff for this wedding? Or like, we're we just gonna be engaged for the next 72 years? Or, you know, and the, the wild thing is in the midst of this, I was a worship pastor <clears throat> and like we were a partnership. You know, we were, we were working together on this church staff and we had, we had built this whole, like, ministry and, and persona, essentially. Was, it's those guys, they're doing cool stuff, and, and Jesus is really proud of them. And they, when they sing together, it sounds cool. And I just, I, I saw some warning signs, and I ignored them for a long time. I got to the end of the season where I can remember sitting in her parents' living room, and both of us just looking at each other in tears, just like, this is not working. And you know, the first thing that, that I thought in my brain 
at that moment was, <laughs> this is how jacked up it was. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, what does life without her look like? I'm engaged and we're doing ministry together. What is my church going to think of me? What, what is my pastor going to say to me when I walk into his office tomorrow and tell him what's happening right now? What are all the people that, that we work with and that, that know our lives, what are they going to think? How, like, I know now, like, gosh, come on. Like then, like that, my identity was so wrapped up in living the perfect life and, and appearing as the perfect worship pastor and, and saying all the right things and doing all the right things and, and holding things together. Like, I literally think, like, if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit, there, there's a chance I would have just stayed in that relationship just to save face. I was miserable. I found out later she was cheating on me. Yeah, it was great. It's awesome. Wonderful. Oh, there were a lot of chisel hits on that one. The inferiority complex that comes along with that, the betrayal, the heartbreak, the shame, the guilt, the rage. What did I do wrong? And you know, the wild thing is in the midst of that, I walked into my pastor's office and I said, hey, here's what happened. Um, I know we weren't married, but like if you need me to step aside or whatever, like, and do that. You know, we had, like, it wasn't like a divorce, it was a breakup, but it's like we had the whole, like, who's going to take, you know, which friends and who's going to, who's going to get the church, <laughs> right? Um, so in the midst of that, you know what happened is my pastor stood up from behind his desk and he walked around and he just bear hugged me. And he held me while well, I just lost it. Because the night before, I wasn't even thinking about, like, the repercussions of, of the breakup. I was thinking about all of the, the selfish, stupid stuff and, and people's perception of me. And, you know, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like, I mean, there's Jesus and then, I mean, obviously, like, getting married now and my wonderful wife and my kids, but, like, that, that, was, that was the fork in the road. That was the wall that provided me the space to be healthy in my marriage now. If I hadn't gone through that wall, do you know what kind of broken and stupid person I would have been walking into a marriage? Trying to hold all of these things together so that other people saw all these other things and not realizing what I need for myself. Not realizing what an autonomous <laughs> person in a relationship looks like just struggling with codependency and, and all of these nasty things. And you know what? For, for years afterwards, there was a pickaxe in my hand. And here's the deal. There, there were days that I was like, Jesus, I can't swing this thing one more time. And he's like, all right, I got you. Let me do it a little bit. And I would just fall into exhaustion and brokenness and just say, like, Jesus, you provided everything you have for me all the way up till here, and you're going to keep on going. I know, like, here's, here's the thing, right, is, like, some of us will look at different walls that people went through, and, and there's this trick that the enemy likes to play and be like, well, that wall was stupid, right? You didn't lose your dad. That wall was stupid. Like, you didn't get in a car wreck. 
and, and we'll compare all day long. But that was my wall. And it was hard and it was heavy and, and it left me broken. But the beauty is that the more and more you walk through that, I, I fully believe Jesus is whispering in your ear saying like, truth. I, you know, you take something out and it's like, here's my codependency, Jesus. And, and he's sitting there whispering, you're a beloved child of the king. Ooh, I like that a lot better. And, and then it's like, you know, you keep on chiseling and you'll find that codependency later and you have to remember the promise, remember the promise, remember the promise, remember the promise. So we do this journey inward. And then what happens is you get to a certain point in the wall that it becomes a journey outward again, right? You hit the middle of that wall and all of a sudden you're journeying back out with fruit and, and gifts to pour out into other people who have walked through or who are walking through that type of situation, and so on that journey outward, it's realizing my identity, it's realizing who God has created me to be, it's realizing what he has in store for me, and, and then I am transformed by his love to be love for others. And this will happen, like, I mean, in the book, it's, this is a cycle, man. If you've already been through the wall, you can't just be like, woo, got that done with. Like, there's going to be another one. And he's got some gifts to, to give you in the midst of those things, and he wants to teach you. But the beautiful thing is, like, the next time you hit a wall, now you know some of the skills that it takes to get through, right? And so here's what I want to show you. We're going to journey briefly with Abraham again. Thanks for bearing with me. I just thought, like, let's just get real for a minute. Cool? Was not planning on doing that at all. Love you all. <laughs> I'm good, I promise. Everything is great. Um, so first, I, wanna, I want us to look at some lessons from Abraham. So first and foremost, I love, uh, we, we go through the Tower of Babel, and we get all these dis, uh, descendants, you know, the, the begats. Um, best part of the Bible, you should just spend some time reading through them for hours. It'll just come off the page. And then all of a sudden, on the scene, there's this dude that just pops up out of nowhere. And said, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And like the first time I ever read this, I was like, wait, no, who's, have we heard this name before? Who's Abram? Can you give me some backstory here? And all of a sudden, hey, go do this. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So first and foremost, what we need to realize about Abram before we get to Isaac, before we get to the future things is that he was chosen by God. God called him out of nowhere, literally, we, we see him in the begats, but out of nowhere, then it's like, then there's this guy Abraham and God chose him, right? And how many of that, like how many of us is that our story? We just looked at the cycle, right? We have this life-changing awareness of God, that God has chosen us, that he's looked at us and he's called us. And he said, Kenneth, I see you. Come out of the land and go do this thing for me. It's like, huh? Okay, cool. So in the midst of this, God has chosen us. God has chosen each and every one of us. Ephesians, I love it. Let me get there real quick. I just pulled this out of nowhere. Sorry, I'm a little sleep deprived. Listen to this. Blessed be the, uh, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What, Paul? He chose you. 
If you're sitting in this place and, and you have a relationship with him, do you know that you're chosen, that you're beloved, that you're known, that, that he has looked through eternity and said, that one, I want that one. We're like the sad puppies at the, like up for adoption, right? And we're like, eh. and he's like, that one. And he chose all of us. What did we have to say in the, what did we have to do in, in, in all of this? Nothing. You see, like, I didn't put my talents up for display before him and say, like, I could be a cool singer one day. I might be able to preach God's word one day. I might have some cool friends that could do And No, I didn't do any of that. It wasn't ever, like, me begging God for him. He looked at me, and he chose me. He looked at Abraham, and he chose him. He called him out. And it was nothing that he could, that he could do about it, right? So I want you to hear in your heart of hearts, wherever you are, and all the doubts that are screaming up, if you're at the wall, the first thing that you need to know is that God chose you. God chose you. He chose you. He wants you. And he wants you to, he desperately wants you to know how much he loves you. How proud he is of you. I love like scriptures that talk about like the, the Lord your God is in your midst and you need only to be quiet. He exalts over you with his singing and he quiets you with his rest. You are more loved than you could ever imagine. Just like Abraham, he chose you. Second, Abraham was given a promise. We read part of that promise just now, but here's another point and God loves to repeat things that are important, right? So here's the other part of the promise. After these uh, things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram, uh, Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. The man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. You see what's happening here? God gave a promise to Abr uh, Abram at that point and said, hey, like the whole world is going to be blessed because of your offspring. And, and Abram's looking at him like, dude, I'm not getting any younger and you have not given me a son. And God promised, he promised. And, and like, I love how Abram goes back to him. He's like, hey, I'm just, just checking in here. Like you haven't given me a son yet. This guy's going to be my heir. And God's like, no, listen to the promise. And so we see, like, through all of the striving, and, I mean, we see some jacked up stuff. I would encourage you to just go read his story. We're not, we don't have time to even touch all of the details here. But, like, he, he messes around, has a kid with someone else. It's crazy. And all of a sudden, God answers his promise. But did, did you know that in your life God has given you a promise? He chose you, and he's given you a promise. He'll never leave you or forsake you that he will be the light in your darkness. That if you come to Jesus, you will know the Father. That when you walk into new relationship with, with God, that you are adopted and given a new name. He's given you a promise. And we have to mine his word for those promises and live in them. 
once again, remind you, did, did Abraham go to God and say, hey, could you give, you chose me, can you give me a promise? No. God led with that, man. Right? I'm choosing you to go to the land I told you to, and I promise you that the whole earth will be blessed by your obedience. You don't have to beg God for his promises. He lavishes those on his kids because he loves you. Uh, third here, the promise was fulfilled. Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Does that name sound familiar? And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? <laughs> I don't think anybody's like a hundred here. Yeah? Could you imagine having a kid at a hundred? I barely imagine having a kid in my thirties, man. Like... <laughs> What in the world? These, they're wearing me out. So God chose him. God gave him a promise. And then did, did Abraham fulfill the promise that God gave him? No. God fulfilled the promise. You see, all three of these steps, there was nothing, 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 nothing that Abraham could do to make it work on his own. It was all through God. God poured it all out. He had a plan. He had provision. So in all of these steps moving forward, all of a sudden we get to the, the twist where we go back and look at the story. And the very son that he's laying on the altar is the one that he waited all of these years in the promise for. Can you imagine what's going through his head when God says, Abraham, he's like, yep, God, what's up? Here am I. I want you to take that son that I promised you and that you waited all of these years and you begged me for and you cried for and you tried to work it your own way and we saw how that worked out. I want you to take that son who you cherish and who literally is, I said in the dream, that, that he is the fulfillment of this promise. I want you to lay him on the altar. I want you to cut him apart and I want you to set him on fire. No. <laughs> and what does Abraham do? next day he got up and got some wood and said let's go because because he had seen he had seen he had seen that all along that God had provided God had provided everything he had ever needed and so like I, I can't imagine laying my son on an altar but but in Abraham's brain there was something that was probably just a little bit off where he said I've seen God provide before and perhaps perhaps he will provide again and there's this twisted thing that I think where, like, there's part of me that's like, even as he's holding that knife up, even if I do this, God's going to provide another son. But God is so rich in love and kindness that he provided the ram. The fourth point, he was faithful to God at the wall. At the wall of his brokenness, at the wall where his life was turned upside down and he had a dagger in his hand, he was faithful to God even to the point of following through. I can just imagine that feeling. Like, remember when I talked about like, Jesus tapping me on the shoulder with the chisel? Through that angel, Abraham, 
We're going to do this together. Now notice here, out of all four of these points, what, what was the only thing that Abraham did? He was chosen. He didn't, he didn't do that on his own. He was given a promise. He didn't do that on his own. The promise was fulfilled in his life. He didn't do that on his own. What did he do on his own? He was faithful and he trusted. And so I, I, I just want you to know, in the midst of the wall, wherever you're at, do you know what you need to do? Drop your shovel, throw your ladder out, and look to Jesus. I know it's like way easier said than done, right? It's simple, but it's not easy. But here's the thing, you need to throw yourself on the mercies of Jesus. You need to throw, like imagine that in your brain, throw your body on the mercies of Jesus who is standing beside of you and who is walking through it with you and who has everything that you need. His reminder for you is that he was present in the provision. He was present in the promise. He was present in the fulfillment and all you need to do is stand by and watch him work. Now it takes some mental effort to be in it and to not throw yourself on the despair. And, and there's gonna be days, like, like we're gonna be honest, like we're, we're people, right? And we have emotions and, and all these things, but you can fall back on some of that stuff sometimes, but, but the mark of a righteous man is someone who gets up one more time than he falls. And what's righteous mean? Right in the eyes of God. I might fall today, but I'm going to dust myself back off tomorrow because Jesus is with me. And he's given me everything that I need. He's given me everything that I have. So why wouldn't I trust him in my deepest and darkest sorrows? I don't know how it's going to turn out. Can I affect that anyway? No. So why wouldn't I trust someone who does? Right? I've got some response um, ideas that I want you to think about. I'm going to just give you some time to think through these things, and then the, the worship team's going to sing another song. I'd encourage you to sing out this song. Man, it, it's, it's truth, and, and man, if you need to, like, stretch so far that you can, like, touch heaven for these promises, I want to encourage you to do it. But here's the deal. If you're at the wall, I want you to just ask a simple question. What does God want to teach me? And throw yourself on Jesus, Right? Stop struggling against the wall and literally just ask God, what do you want to teach me and help me to be open to it? That's the first step in realizing that you're on your way through the wall. Jesus, where's the chisel? Let's go. For those of you who are not at the wall or not going through the wall, what does God want me to see or learn for others? If you've been through a wall and are on the other side, think back on the lessons that you learned and think about what it means to show up in the life of somebody who is walking through a wall. If you have not yet been through the wall, I want to encourage you to remember it will come. And the steps that you're doing in your active life now in discipleship and all those things are preparing your heart and mind for the moment that it does happen. And I'm telling you, you could stay at the wall the rest of your life. You could do it and you could wither away and you could become bitter and you could become broken and you could forget how to trust Jesus and you could be mad at others. And maybe some of you are at that place where you've been standing there for a long time. Dude, could you trust Jesus to, to give you the pickaxe today? 
because he wants more for you than to stand at the wall crying. I don't know. I don't know when it's coming. Like, I don't know. But I would like to think the next wall that I find, I'm going to be like running at it with that pickaxe. Because Jesus has so much more as we're walking through it together than me standing alone on the outside wondering why life is happening to me the way it is. God has given you provision. He's given you a promise. He's chosen you. And he wants to walk through the wall with you. I want you to spend some time thinking. Just, just think. Just pray. Ask God what he wants to do. And then we're going to sing a song in another minute. Love you guys.